going through all these firsts are extremely hard. And this is the first Christmas without Kara. But I've gained uh, strength and wisdom through all these other firsts. So this Christmas is a celebration. And Mm. I don't know what next Christmas looks like. Or the next Christmas. Right. Or the next Christmas. So, and there is a hope and a curiosity of what will my life, what will my uh, life look like mm-hmm. next year and the year after and the year after. And I think that's where Kara was just so great and just giving me a lot of freedom and talking through everything allowed me to just embrace these small hopes. Faithfulness presents, in partnership with South Park Crawlspace Records, the Mundane Faithfulness Podcast. the Mundane Faithfulness Podcast, where friends of Kara Tippett's gather to discuss issues of grace, community, hardship, and the gospel. I am your host, Blythe Hunt, and today in the studio, we have our pastor, our friend, our brother in Christ, Jason Tippett's. Emmanuel, God with us. Since Kara went home to Jesus, how have you experienced Emmanuel? How has your understanding and dependence of Emmanuel, God with us, changed since March? God is Emmanuel. I think it has, I think things have just become more real in my life. And I see promises in Scripture, like the simple thing that God is with us. And it means something different. It's not a big flag I wave. I think it's more he's walking with me in this grief and he knows what this is like Mm -hmm. and he's in no rush to uh, move on from me Mm -hmm. to someone else. He is walking with me in this and it is, uh, I think it's just become more real Mm -hmm. and I think my faith in some way has become stronger, but also more simple Mm. and just more gracious. What do you mean more simple? I think there are so many. God is uh, mysterious, and we can only understand anything about him because he's provided us with his word and his spirit. I think it's, to me, it is just landing at the simplicity of that There are things that I will not understand about God. And I've, at this present season of my life, I'm I'm okay with this mystery. Mm. And I think I have tried to uh, create or hold on to fewer categories that I want to be firm Mm -hmm. and just realize there is so much mystery in this life. Um, But even in that mystery, God is still the same, and he knows, and he's with me, and grief is not uh, something that is foreign to him. Mm -hmm. He understands it, and so I think my days just become more simple. 
um, less less driven to accomplish great things. I think I want to accomplish just the simple things. Jason, what you're saying about the mystery of God really resonates with me because I think that once I realized that God is mysterious to us and we won't always understand things, it was such a relief because mm-hmm. if I can figure things out, <laughs> yep. then God is not as big as he really should be. Yeah. And there's this idea that the more we know in our mind, the more we can grasp onto, the more mature we're going to be. Yeah. But they're really, it. but what we forget then is our heart and desire and our passion. And how does God meet us in those and transform those instead of just thinking, well, I just need to read more things. I need to memorize more things. I need to know more things, and especially in grief. And then thinking, the more I can grasp hold of grief, the more that I can be freed from it. Mm. Where I think I am in the midst of just understanding my heart and feelings and my desires, and how does how does grief just uh, live within those and because I, I think if we can put things in a box, we can set them on a shelf in our mind and we can say, uh, and this is what I would love to do. Like I figured out grief and, you know, my book's coming out next year and it's going to be great. Everyone's going to be healed <laughs> by understanding some everything I write right. instead of realizing God uh, meets me in my heart and my desire. And a lot of that is broken but it's slowly being restored, and there's this uh, mystery and curiosity of uh, not just how does God meet me there, but what does the rest of my life look like? Mm. And I know if I could put it on a shelf, I, it would be like storing things away in my house, which you know is interesting. I'm sort of in the process of uh, moving things around in our house. And there's a grief of putting, you know, a picture or a book or a memory in a container and placing in a closet. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting, as I do that, I, I wrestle through a lot of emotion, which is my heart. And it's interesting, as I invite people to come over and, hey, does anyone want some of these things? It's interesting, they walk out of the house with it, and I, I really process through, how does that feel? Mm-hmm. Where I think if it's only cerebral, I would have this timeline of, okay, it's been this many months, so I should be able to give this percent of everything that was the we of our marriage away. Mm. But I, they leave, and people have asked me, you know, how was that for you when someone walked out of the house with that memory? And uh, you know, I'm, not, I'm not giving away things that my kids are emotionally attached to. We right. talk through all mm-hmm. these things. But sometimes it is this odd the walk of the house, and I think, why is this so hard? Mm-hmm. Like, why is that specific thing so hard? Mm-hmm. But I know people are gracious that I know I could call them the next day and say, gosh, I, I what was I thinking? Can, mm-hmm. can you bring that back? And they'd be okay with that. Right. One of the things that has amazed me about your grief that you have done so well is you have engaged your grief. I think that for me, the tendency is to want to distract myself, 
to push the grief away, mm-hmm. um, to try to ignore it, and then maybe it'll go away. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's different for you because Kara was your wife. She was there all the time for you, 24-7. Mm-hmm. Um, but even when my parents died, if I could just push it away and pretend like it wasn't there, maybe I can get through this day. And I haven't seen you do that. Well, I want to. Yeah. Um, I think it was, I called five other pastors who had lost their wives and just asked them, I just want to hear your story and just let them talk for an hour or two. And it was very helpful to me. And a lot of their, their wisdom to me was one or two of them said this, you grief is going to come and it's going to, it's going to want to move into your house. And if you leave it outside, if you push it away, uh, it's going to break in later. And so open the door, allow it to not not be this stranger that you're afraid of, but allow it to enter and to just, I don't even know how to explain this, like almost to be hospitable to this emotion and hurt that you want nothing to do with. Mm. Because if it's, left out, it will break in like a thief and robber. But how can I, how can I allow it to come in and how can I be friends with this emotion and live in this tension of, and this wonderful thing happened today, but, you know, a few minutes later, I sit in my chair and I feel like I sink and almost fold into the chair mm-hmm. in grief. Um, and it, I feel like now that I have created this pattern, and so it's much more comfortable. And actually, the grief is less overwhelming, but early on, it was crippling. Yeah. And I, I know that feeling of, and I would voice it to many people, like, I don't want anything to do with this. Yeah. I want to push this away because it's just a reminder of everything we had that I thought was great mm. and was great mm-hmm. and it will never exist again. And I think, I feel like I'm continually rounding corners of things. And I think that was a corner to be rounded and to be able to admit that, you know, the relationship we had will never exist again. And to be able to verbalize it and admit it um, was horribly hard, but was very helpful to me as I figure out what does it mean to wake up tomorrow. And that was, you know, Karen and I talked, and before she died, about everything, um, which was wonderful, (laughs) wonderful on this side of it. And she would say often that my my job was harder, mm. and I agree. Um. Uh, you know that I, you know, I had to get up the next day and feed the kids. Yeah. Uh, after she died, and figure out what does that, what does that mean? And I, you know, I know the tendency. I, I feel it of wanting to just lay in your bed all day. And think this grief will eventually just find a new home, but it's gonna it's gonna be around. And so, 
I feel like through the wisdom of other people, they have helped me embrace it. And I feel very healthy. How did you not fall into despair? Yeah, that's an interesting, that's a good question. We've talked a little bit about that. I don't know. I I think I look back at, and I think this happens to everyone's life, that God takes us all through things that are hurtful. And we're allowed this opportunity to allow God to form us through that experience. And I feel like through my life, as I've had those hurtful things, whether it's personally hurtful or hurtful from a community or within family, and to see how those formed me. And I think walking with Kara through cancer, I realized more and more that God is with me in this hard thing. Mm -hmm. And I really don't feel like I can wake up and feed my kids and go to work. Mm -hmm. But looking back, I see God has allowed me to walk through these hard and hurtful things. And so he's going to give me the strength and wisdom to meet this. And I I think really the, I remember many times sitting down in a chair in our house and knowing like, I have to find somewhere to sit down because I am going to literally implode and fall apart. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, not knowing what the other side looked like, but knowing if I avoided this and just thought I'm just going to be strong, that it's going to come back. Mm-hmm. And so I would find a chair to sit in where I knew I could sink in it and just cry. Mm-hmm. And with that, the crying always stopped. Mm-hmm. And I think it was the first time when the crying stopped that helped me realize, well, I think it's always going to stop at some point. And so I shouldn't be afraid of these waves and this stranger entering because I'm okay. And this wave's going to overwhelm me. But just like a wave, it's going to pass. And I'm going to stand up and I'm going to walk away from this chair. So at Christmas time, we talk a lot about hope because of Jesus' birth and the hope that we have in Christ. How is your hope different this year without Kara and after experiencing these months of grief? I think I'd rather celebrate Easter than Christmas. Yeah. I I think my, my hope is in there is life after this death and we pass through this veil and my the union that Christ has with me will not be tarnished or marred through death. And so it, it, I think some of my hope is just a, a more of an interest and a curiosity in what is heaven like. Mm-hmm. But I, I think, so there's that, that great hope of the day I die, I'm, Christ meets me. Mm-hmm. There mm-hmm. and I'm I'm held and I move forward and there are glorious things which are unimaginable to me. So I think there's that huge hope, but there's there's also this hope of it does not mean 
that there won't be small pictures or symbols of hope in my life going forward. So the holidays are a difficult time for a lot of people, and many people feel Mm -hmm. very lonely over the holidays when families and friends are gathering, and maybe they, maybe they're family and friends have died or maybe they mm-hmm. just don't have many to begin with. Um, any any emotion, I think, that you feel just is more present and more felt and yeah. more exaggerated mm-hmm. somehow over the holidays. And this Christmas, you're experiencing a new loneliness. What hope does Emmanuel provide for those of us who are hurting and lonely? What does this look like to trust in Emmanuel when you are hurting and you can't change your circumstances and it's not what you had hoped, this is not the Christmas you had wanted? Yeah, I think that's a great question because it goes beyond just the the question of uh, me and our family and losing my wife and my kids losing their mom, but it it speaks to everyone. I think we all have this expectation of what we want uh, some kind of celebration holiday to be. You know, I, I think some of the things that I think through are if I'm having a miserable, emotional, grieving day, it doesn't mean that that's going to be tomorrow or the next day. And I think as we look at holidays where some people look at this Christmas and just their expectation is it's going to be miserable, but it does not mean that everything's going to be miserable. Mm. I think we— we need to understand how does God meet us in those expectations where we think it's just misery and grief? How, where is the grace and the joy and the celebration in the midst of that? And I mm-hmm. think that's bringing the tension of things together. We can live in that tension. This seems like a horrible holiday. These are things I'm going to miss. And they're right. They are going to miss those things, and there will be moments that will be probably miserable and emotional. Yeah. But there are also going to be moments where you're going to laugh, mm. and you're going to smile, and you're going to be overwhelmed with joy. Mm. And so your day is a mix of both of those, and you can't just have one or the other. It, it's realizing um, a good day is a mix of both of those. Yeah. And as I look to our Christmas— a good Christmas day is a mix of both of those, mm. which means I'm going to cry, um, and it's going to hurt, but I'm going to laugh because I have four kids, and they're wonderful. <laughs> um, but then there's also people celebrating Christmas that are alone they're alone and lonely, and whether it be single or in a miserable marriage, um, and it's seeing there will be both of those. Yeah. And it might be, uh, you know, I think with me in my house, uh, I don't feel alone. I have four talkative kids. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I long to be alone. <laughs> <laughs> and there, there's always this communication towards me of my kids um, where some people, they don't have that. Yeah. And in their grief, they look at Christmas and their view is they've only done Christmas with their husband or their wife or their Children and those people are gone, and so there is this huge sense of aloneness. Mm. And how do they uh, move toward someone or people or a community that can 
welcome them. Mm-hmm. And then I think it speaks to the other side too. How how does a community see these people who are single or alone on this day or just miserable? Yeah. And how does a community embrace them and not have expectations that this person's going to enter and they're just going to be smiling the entire time? But yeah. they're going to welcome this person and they're going to give them space. You want to go cry? That's just fine. Glad you're here. What can I do to help you? Mm. So I, I think, you know, it's just a mix of all these things of extending ourselves, uh, welcoming and engaging other people in this celebration. Um, and it's hard. It's all hard. And we want everything to be easy and it never will be. I love that because you sound expectant. You sound like you are expecting and you are eager to meet Grace. It sounds like you know that Grace is going to meet you in the hardest days and there will be joy there as well. Yeah. I, I think just by nature, I'm an optimist. You know, Karen and I would talk about things like in our past. And I would say, oh, do you remember this? Like, this was so wonderful. And she would say, that was the worst time Ever or top five <laughs> ever of my life. And I just, I didn't see it the same way. <laughs> but I, I think I am optimistic. I'm also cynical. And I think it's a healthy dose, dose of being cynical of, uh, it's not going to be what I expect. Mm. And so uh, there's going to be joy and fun, but I'm cynical. Uh, it's not always going to be joyful and fun. Mickey talks about how your children choose joy, and Mm. I've seen it, and it's beautiful, and it has taught me so much, even from a distance. What have you learned about choosing joy just from watching your children? Yeah, I think um, they do choose joy. Uh, My kids are, like most kids, uh, just happy, and I think it's interesting. It's not me choosing joy for them, it's or even me choosing joy because we're a family, so when they go through things, I go through it too. As they are choosing joy, it helps me realize, gosh, there are joyful things. Mm. And so they, you know, like even this morning, they were playing and in front of the fireplace. And so there's Legos and magnet things and uh, coloring paper all over the place. And they're just fun and having joy and I think, why is this not wonderful Hmm. that I can be here with my kids and experience this? In the back of my head, I'm also thinking, uh, no one's going to clean this up. (laughs) It's just going to be a disaster. (laughs) But I'm learning to just let those things go and realize my kids want to have fun. And in the joy, as I provide things and events and memories that they can have joy in, it really opens the door for more discussion about grief and sorrow. It doesn't make them completely run away from it. It lets them know, like, I'm with them, and we're laughing and wrestling, and then it gives them opportunity later to share more of emotional things. You have been listening to the Mundane Faithfulness Podcast with Blythe Hunt, an official production of the Mundane Faithfulness blog. 
You can find us on the web at mundanefaithfulness.com or on Facebook at mundanefaithfulness.com slash community. Subscribe now to hear the weekly podcast on iTunes or your preferred podcasting application. Help us spread the word. If you enjoyed this week's episode, please go to iTunes and leave a review. Thank you for supporting the Mundane Faithfulness community.